and I assume you can hear me. Yes. Yeah, we're we're good. <laughs> well, it's kind of a running joke at this point, I've noticed in the podcast, to have it start with, can you hear me? So, yeah, I actually wanted to kind of talk to you just because I haven't for a while. I've been looking for an excuse to do a podcast with you, and I saw your video about graphic buying graphics cards for games which i think there used to be an honest argument for that with crisis and a few other games you've you've talked about fear a lot and i would agree with that one too i mean and there were a lot of games just in that general vicinity that were worth buying a, gra- a new graphics card for there were but i have not thought that's been necessary i mean i haven't thought that's been necessary since the 7000 series actually I mean, it's been pretty tough to justify this whole, I, I guess you could say console cycle. I mean, if you really think about it, games follow the console cycle as far as technical prowess. Crisis was kind of the outlier. And, yeah. y- you know, we, we all see what happened. They sold 1.5 million copies, which was great, but they sold like 10 times that once they brought it to consoles. So, yeah, and it actually didn't look that great on console. Well, that game wasn't very optimized, so I guess that's why. Oh, well, yeah, they had to put it on a new engine and and all that. But yeah, back in the day, I mean, graphics technology kept advancing so fast that developers said, screw it. You know, they they weren't limited by the shackles of consoles. They would try new things. They would do new things. But nowadays, they, they don't do that anymore. There's there's no more risk-taking, I guess, is the best way to put it. Nobody wants to put their neck on the line, be like, hey, look, we might sell half the amount of copies, but everybody's going to use this as a benchmark. So we're going to get tons of publicity off of it. Nobody wants to do it anymore because it's a huge investment and it's a huge risk. Well, what's so funny, actually, when you say that for me, is that I would argue there's less risk now from approaching a game that way than there was back then. I mean, back with the consoles were different and uh, the PS360 generation and well, even more radically different before that, actually. I mean, before that, it was just not even close to like what PCs were. And right. so, but if we look at like the PS360, they had po- very powerful processors, especially in the case of the PS3, like so much more powerful than their graphics card. And they had a very small amount of RAM. So there was an actual argument for you literally had to build the game differently back then. But that excuse is almost gone. Now, the processors in the current consoles are definitely weaker than PC, but I actually always push back. They're not they're not weak enough that you couldn't make it work unless you really did something radical with AI or physics, which obviously they're not doing that. But, I mean, the consoles have enough RAM now, and well, the processors are weak. I mean, the Xbox One X is strong enough now, too, so that whole argument of... I mean, you really do have to water it down for the base Xbox, but still... I mean, if you can make it on a PC, it's it's not... I would say you could almost always water any of these games down to console, no matter how hard... No matter how high you set the bar graphically. Yeah, I mean, most PC games, most games in general, they're not very CPU demanding. That That's one of the fun things, you know, with Zen 2 and everything coming out. Everybody's talking about CPUs and oh, i9-9900Ks and all this nonsense. For gaming, you literally don't need any of that. Gaming is not very CPU demanding. Um, I, I went ahead and did the math on it. The consoles have roughly the same IPC as an Athlon 64. So it's basically using CPU technology from back in the year 2004. Um, 
clock speeds, you know, clock for clock, they would be identical. Now, obviously, we don't have an eight-core Athlon 64, so we can't do a one-to-one comparison, but that's about where the numbers jive. So they're not that powerful at all. That's why, like, when I see games... But they have enough cores, though, and they're not meant to run 60 hertz is the argument I would make. They're just not meant to do it. They're clocked low. They have a lot of threads for the time. Now they're getting a little long in the tooth, I guess. But, I mean, they have a lot of threads. So as long as you don't try to run the frame rate high, it shouldn't be completely bogged down. Again, they're about to be replaced. So this argument would have been a better one two years ago. But yet, they they haven't been pushing graphics for the past five years, so... Right. And I mean, also at the same time, you say that they're not meant for 60 FPS. Meanwhile, this console generation has more 60 FPS games than any other console generation. So it's like, it kind of backs up my point that CPUs just really aren't the crux of gaming. They're not, no. It, it's, it's all software. It all comes down to software and programming. Like when I saw the Assassin's Creed Odyssey uh, Digital Foundry video, and uh, they couldn't run it at 60 FPS with a Ryzen 1700X. I'm like, That's not your CPU's problem. You should not be worrying about upgrading. You should be calling Ubisoft and demanding a refund and be like, you guys need to be able to make these games work. I mean, that should be running at least 200 frames per second on any modern eight-core CPU. I mean, I I typically do get most of my Assassin's Creed's if I get them. I haven't been as into them, obviously, as before. But if I get one, I I typically still get it on console because it's going to be a very, very smooth 30 or 60 hertz. And I just know on PC that you're going to need a God CPU for that thing to even get to 60. And it's like, eh, why bother? I'll just use the simplicity of a console. And there's just some games that are still kind of like that. And I think Instead of harping about 1600, you should just go, hey, look, it's an Assassin's Creed game. They're meant to run at 30 hertz. And eh, sorry, that's just, they suck at that. I don't know. <laughs> right. That That's actually one argument I think I'll start making here soon. Uh, Richard from Digital Foundry actually brought that up. He was doing some uh, review of one of the newer pieces of hardware, but he's like, yeah, these frame rates are real high, but look at these dips. And he's like, I would I would never play this. He would cap the frame rate at 60 because it's not worth the ups and downs. And I was actually just doing some benchmarks with some older hardware. And I noticed, uh, because I'm comparing basically older hardware and newer hardware, on the newer hardware, when I reduced resolution to 720p, uh, you figure frame rates would go up. So the average went up, but the 1% and 0.1% actually went down below higher resolutions. And it's because there's so much more variance that... I'm guessing there's some other bottleneck. Well, exactly. That, that, that's what I say about 720p is you might run into another bottleneck. And so uh, there's, yeah, but like, there's just no point. Some games, like go, I like Ghost Recon Wildlands a lot just because of how stupidly fun it is to run around in. And yeah, I mean, I kept that game at 90 hertz. It's just, and, and actually the 6700K runs it better than the 9900K, depending on what settings you use. So yeah, it's uh, you just that game. It's uh, I'm gonna run it in 90 hertz, and then in fact I can crank up the resolution scale if I want to. Yeah, that's that's the better use for that extra GPU power. You know, today, like you said, because there's no games really pushing it. So the argument then becomes, hey, why don't we have 240 hertz monitors and this and that? It's like you know, I know that you like the higher refresh, but it's not necessary. It really just isn't because all that extra GPU horsepower. It's it's not really benefiting you. The, that higher frame rate can lead to lower lows and greater gaps. You're better off having, you know, a locked like you said, like a locked ninety will be a better experience than two hundred frames average. But your one percent lows are hitting sixty or seventy. 
that's going to be a much worse experience, in my opinion. Yeah, and um, to be clear, though, for me, I do like the higher frame rates. If I could pay 50% more to get a CPU, let's say a CPU is $400, I would pay $600 if all of a sudden it ran every game in 480 hertz. But I just know it's not going to. And I know we're just not going to be there for at least five years. It, it was just, so I just don't waste my money. Because for me, if I spent a ton of money, and the same would go with a Titan, by the way, on this supposedly god godlike piece of hardware, and then it doesn't matter if it's just one-fourth of my games. If I get a game and it's not running it in 4K, or honestly, for the price of a Titan, I would expect 8K, I would be like, so why did I spend this much money? I'm still, and it comes down to, I still need to turn down more settings than I want to. So if I have to do that anyways, I should probably just run it at medium-high with a high-end or mid-range card instead of an enthusiast one at this point. And I, I, I'm just, I have to do it anyways. I'll just go to medium instead of high. Well, I mean, it's like what we were talking about before we got here. It all comes down to value. Like you said, if the price meets performance, you will buy it. And I, I agree. Yeah, if something works linearly, that's great. But usually, you know, those top-tier products, you know, 5% faster, 50% more expensive. You know, it's pretty ridiculous. We're barely to the point where I would say 120 hertz is becoming a decent standard. Like it's, but there's still, I mean, Sekiro, nope, that just runs 60 hertz. You can't even run it higher than that. Shit, you can't even really run Crisis, the original no, Crisis, <laughs> at higher than 60 FPS. You would need a 10, you would need a 10 gigahertz uh, Phenom 2 or Core series thing to finally get above 60 well. I mean, that's just how they were built. Those bottlenecks are always going to be there. I don't know. Maybe someday we'll get something that can do it. But I've, I've honestly never seen Crisis run above 100 stably on any system, no matter how expensive. I haven't checked recently, though. Uh, Digital Foundry, they actually just did a video. Even cracking 60 is still damn near impossible. Yeah, so what I think is going to be funny, though, is this. Right now, the RAM isn't an issue. The graphics cards, I mean, honestly, I think the Xbox One X and PS4 Pro have fine graphics cards. They're mid-range for even PC today. So those excuses are gone. But the CPU is still weak. The CPUs are not going to be weak in the PS5 or the next Xbox. They're not. In fact, they're going to be better than the majority of gaming PCs and the majority of any gaming PC from a couple of years ago. In fact, right? If before the 27, if you have a PC built before the 2700X, the 9900K, or, or, or the 8700K, it will run, it will be weaker than what's in the consoles. So that excuse is just about to be entirely gone for devs. The I do think the next gen consoles are just going to be these limitless wells of performance. And so there's no excuse to not push the limits on PC and then dumb it down on the console. That console is not going to not be able to run it. Yeah, that's really what the interesting thing is going to be. It's actually, I think the PC market is going to hold back games at that point. I know that's what worries me is, and I know there's people freaking out, but it's like, I know you guys think consoles hold back PCs, but they haven't really been lately. And the next gen, I think, I agree. I think there's a better chance PC performance will hold back console performance. I mean, what I'm hearing, these things are going to be. And it, and it just, uh, it, the, even the recent things I was sent and recent leaks I saw publicly from some people on Twitter, uh, it's not changing my opinion of how strong the PS5 is going to be like better than a 2080. In fact, if anything, they're still souping it up in some arms race with Microsoft right now. 
I mean, 2080, that, that sounds about right. Um, 2080 TI could be possible, especially with RDNA 2, which they're definitely going to use RDNA 2 because mm-hmm. it's going to be more efficient. Um, I did a video not too long ago. They could literally do 10, or 2080 TI with RDNA 1. The power consumption would be a bit high, but they could technically do it if they want to. Oh, yeah, they could right now. Yeah, so if you take that and then you throw on about a 25% power efficiency um, and then lower clocks and things like that, they, they probably could get it close or somewhere in between the two. So yeah, they're going to be extremely, extremely powerful. And ironically enough, PC gaming is actually reverting. The video that I did yesterday was saying how you know people are going for more stylized games. They're not going for these big graphically intensive games. And uh, for my video that I'm working on now, I went over and checked the Steam hardware survey. All resolutions of gaming are going down above 720p. 720p is growing. Everything above 720p is shrinking. <laughs> that means more and more gamers are playing on laptops is what that means. And, and what's really funny, and again, I'm just bringing up the consoles because I know what they're targeting. I know the PlayStation 5 specifically is targeting 4K60 HDR with the option for 4K120 in uh, a handful of games and 8K60 for indie titles. And in fact, the next-gen PSVR, this this just came out too, is going to be 1440p per I, 120 hertz. So, I mean, yeah, they're targeting. Uh, they might even be, they might, I w- I'm going to say I would not be surprised if there were a couple AAA games, and I'm not talking about indie titles, that had enough extra performance left over where there was a setting for 4K60 with extra settings or 4K 120. And that's just going to be in a, you know, a console that costs half as much as PCs. Yeah, that's because they don't have to make a profit. They could literally sell them at cost, and they're just happy doing that. And, and as we've covered, the <laughs> 5700 XT guys, at most 200 bucks to make. Um, so that's now. As the process matures as they make a version for it that's a little easier to mass manufacture in a console. I mean, the bill of materials for whatever goes in the PS5, that that processor is going to be the worst chiplets of Zen 2. The rumor is two eight-core chiplets half disabled, so they put two four-cores together. And then that's going to be... I mean, I don't know how much those would cost, but we're talking about a CPU that's probably like 70 bucks on the bill materials. I doubt it's even that much. Oh, I know. I wanted to say 50, but I still think there's some people that just can't even believe it. Uh, and the graphics card will probably be like 100. I mean, the RAM will be as much as the die, that's for sure. So like 120, 150 bucks for the graphics card. Again, not even that much. So I actually think $529 is where I would put it if it was up to me. Nah, for general consumers, you got to be at a 99. I think 499, Sony has to go up to 499. They did really well with the PS3 at 399, and I bet that they'd like to stick to that, but mm. it's going to have to be 499. That makes the most sense. If they charge more, I think they'll have a discless version that's like $400, and then that's how they'll justify racking up the price of the big one. Yeah, but maybe. If there's one model, I agree, 499. Yeah, that's the smart move for them. Microsoft is typically the premium console. Uh, their consumers are used to paying a little bit more, so they could probably go up to five ninety nine if it's at least fifteen to twenty percent faster. So I, I do think that would be a suicide move if they charged more for it. But that's my opinion. 
I, I don't think so. Um, most of the reason why people buy Xbox over PlayStation is simply for the controller, and $100 isn't that big of a deal. Well, right now, they used to be able to sell as many consoles. Right now, that is true. But they've kind of been pushed almost out of the market by Sony. So, I mean, if they just want to keep their current market share, sure. Well, they screwed themselves up this entire generation. Um, you know, they have no console-selling exclusives, really. I mean, the the one Halo game that they had was Halo 5, which is easily the worst in the series. Yeah. Um, if they have a killer Halo game, another like Halo 3, doesn't matter. PlayStation, people will buy both if they're really diehard PlayStation mm. because that's all it'll take to sell consoles. But most people buy Xbox over PlayStation for the controller and because typically Microsoft makes a faster console. So it has to be faster and usually 15, 20%. It doesn't have to be a lot faster, but it has to be faster. And they could charge more money for it. Yeah, I'm actually hearing a lot of weird rumors at this point. I'm just taking a step back from making that next-gen console series. I, I have a good idea of what Sony's doing, but I keep hearing they're changing some of their specs in response to what's coming out from Microsoft. And in fact, I've heard I'm starting to just hear like three conflicting things. I've I've a, a person I trust the most says it is clearly weaker. I'm just I just want to be clear that he says every dev he's talked to. It is clearly weaker than the next PlayStation, but that's from a month ago. But I've also seen a lot of indication it could be modular, and I also see Sony changing specs. So I don't know if they're upping. I don't. I honestly don't know if there's going to be two models. If the base model is going to be a lot weaker. If it's going to be modular. I, I, to be honest, I well, all I know is both consoles are going to be really powerful. I'm just going right. to take a break from following these rumors for a month and then reassess things. The only thing that I know is that Microsoft has all the money in the world, and Sony doesn't. So whatever Sony can do, Microsoft can do better. If it comes down to cost, yes. Yeah, I mean, Microsoft can lose $100, $200, $300, $400 per console if they need to. It's not even going to affect their bottom line. Um, uh, Sony, last time they did that with the PS3, they lost $250, $300 every time a launch PS3 sold. They both did, though, on that one. The uh, Xbox 360 cost $600 or more to make. It was, they were both, it was an art, it was a war of attrition that gen. They were both just completely, and they both regret it, too. If you listen to people who work there, like, why did we just, neither of them liked doing that. No. Yeah, luckily by the time the PS3 came out, I think Microsoft's was down around 100, 150. So they were, because they came out a year ahead. So they, they were actually um, ahead of Sony for a long time. But yeah, that was a terrible business idea for both of them to they do that. They were both so sure they would win that easily. That's why they did it. That's how wars of attrition start. Both sides think if they throw everything, it'll end. And then once you start throwing everything, you got to double down or it was for nothing. Well, which is great for us, because, I mean... Yeah, it made some awesome stuff. I have to admit, that's my favorite gen. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was the most overpowered. Like, literally, the Xbox 360 had technology that you couldn't buy on PC. No, I know. <laughs> no, no matter how much money you spent on your PC, it was still worse than a 360. Yeah, and that was when PC gaming went through the... I, I really do think of those years as the dark years of PC gaming. Things were going well. And if you'll remember, those consoles launched right after cards. I've talked about a little, but you've talked about a lot. Was it the 8800 Ultra, right? Like, that came out right before... That was well, the, the 8800 GTX came out right around the PS3. So it's actually a year after the Xbox 360. Okay. But right about then is right when 
NVIDIA was going for crazy prices and AMD had fallen oh, yeah. behind. And that's why I find it so hilarious how similar you could compare that time period to now is, well, AMD's catching up a little bit more and we'll see what happens. It will be different this time, but it is a similar situation, at least in terms of PC gaming prices had started to get out of whack. And it was at the same time the consoles were going for some really big moves in performance. And that's just what I see happening. I mean, PC gaming will be fine eventually. But I do see this just as a crazy wake-up call next year when they see the performance you can get for the price of, like, what are we actually paying for anymore? Yeah. I mean, it's going to get pretty difficult to justify, especially if you're just, like, a casual gamer. Realistically, I mean, for me, the main reason why I continue PC gaming is because of legacy games, older titles. That's the main reason. Stuff that you can't really play on consoles, you know, stuff in the early 2000s, late 90s. Um, they just never really ported them. And if they did, they were shitty ports. So you don't want to play those anyway. <laughs> so, so that's, I mean, the main reason for PC gaming. But if you're playing just the latest AAA titles and that's kind of all you do, you play Fortnite, you want to play the new Call of Duty, there's no reason to be buying a $1,000 PC for that. Yeah, I used to, I really got into, I'd say that when I was the most heavily in PC gaming, it was probably like 2012 to 2014, which is no surprise because it really started when the PS3 and 360 were just too old. And so that's right. when I really, really got into it. Um, but, and it's still mostly on PC, but I, starting last year, you know, I think I said it before, like I was just like, yeah, screw it. Like I, I got a PS4 Pro, even though I knew it wasn't probably worth the money to get over a PS4 I already had, but I got an SSD, threw it in there, and I just got all the latest AAA games that were exclusives and a few third-party games, and I had a blast that winter break with my brother playing PlayStation more than PC, and right now I still play PC more, but it's kind of like a 50-50 thing. If an awesome console comes out, I have no problem... It, I mean, I'm always going to have a powerful PC for editing, mining, all this other stuff I do, but I, it's... I have no problem predominantly gaming on console again if this shift happens. I mean, and when it comes to graphics, I mean, I don't know. I just want to be able to play the games. I have a MX250 on my laptop that I intentionally get because it's just barely good enough to play AAA games when I'm on a three-day trip. Sure. You know, just jack it down to 720p and you're good to go. I mean, on a little tiny screen, that's fine. That's why the Switch is 720p. Yeah, and it, it, and it actually works fine. I can play the division in 900p at medium settings. I lock it at 30 frames and that's enough. I'm playing co-op with friends, you know, for a couple hours while I'm on a trip. I'm not doing ultra heavy gaming. And when you see these, some of these minimum specs, it's like, honestly, I've been able to run almost every AAA game, I guess, yes, with exception to some of those Assassin's Creed's. Um, Five-year-old hardware for, I mean, I still can. It's very weird. It just comes down to software. Like, that's kind of where we started. It all comes down to the developers and when they optimize games and, and then they run well. Um, you can definitely tell that games are getting better. Uh, pretty much 2018 and 2019, most games are actually very well optimized. I, I agree, yeah. With a few exceptions. Um, but for the most part, they're really good. In the 2014 to mm. 2017 range, terrible. Almost all games launched in that time frame are absolute junk. Yeah. Um, which is why, um, like I was talking to Paul yesterday about that review and that he was a little upset about, 
every or most of the games that he used were in that junk time frame. Old games for new graphics cards, benchmarking, and this also heavily skews things in a certain direction because those were pretty primarily NVIDIA sponsored titles. Mm -hmm. On DirectX 11, that was pretty much, those game engines at those times were designed to run on NVIDIA hardware. For some reason, the PC gaming market, they thought that NVIDIA was the way to go before this console generation. Yeah, they did, yeah. They built their engines for NVIDIA, and then they realized, oh shit, this doesn't work very well. And we're finally getting to the point where all the AMD optimizations are kicking in, and this is why we're seeing better optimization across the board, because NVIDIA optimizations suck. Yeah, I just don't... Um, I usually do a Half-Life 2 benchmark for fun when I review a graphics card, but uh, I... The games I use are the ones I think are decent representations of performance. I don't use any badly optimized games. And I've been accused of like being a fanboy for using, you know, I don't know, recent DirectX 12 games that actually work because some of them do actually finally work now. Like I use sure. Division 2, Strange Brigade, Far Cry. Mm -hmm. I mean, I use these games and they're like, and I use Ghost Recon actually because I do think it's a good test of view distance rendering because of the insane view distances. But, and then I get accused of being a fanboy because I'm using all these AMD, you know, AMD biased games. And I'm like, these are just the latest games. These, none of these, Ghost Recon is an NVIDIA title. That's NVIDIA. Um, the Far Cry game engine, even though Far Cry 5 is an NVIDIA or an AMD title, the game engine was optimized for NVIDIA. So yeah, it runs better on AMD now because it ran like crap before because... It was designed to run on NVIDIA. So, it, yeah, it, it's kind of crazy. Uh, the way that I do mine is I do three NVIDIA-sponsored titles, three AMD titles, and that's it. I, You know, pick the newest ones from each camp, and then that's it. And those are the games that everybody should be testing. You pick the newest games, 50-50. That's as balanced as you're going to get. Well, what was really funny too is, and I and I tweeted this because I thought it was like I, I, someone said, "Oh, I've never seen a review roster this biased. It's more biased than AMD's own slides." And I went, "Let me see here." And I just for fun checked hardware and box results, and the overall result he got that the 2070 was two percent stronger than the 5700, and I found that it was 1.8 percent stronger. So I don't know what people's problem is, and that was just by luck. It's like, oh, I guess my roster isn't that biased. And then of course, you get the people that say, well, hardware unboxed is a AMD shill website, so you know, it almost doesn't even matter. Nvidia is—they've basically just proven that they're going to continue to dominate. They're going to continue. They've been validated in their price hikes that it's going to continue getting worse. And AMD is not stupid. They're going to remain cheaper, but they're going to follow. Prices go up. AMD is going to raise prices. Intel comes in the market, something that they maybe were going to sell for 200 If there's a spot at 250 300 guess what it's going to cost? It's going to be 250 300 And same thing with ARM and anybody else that may or may not enter the market. And this is going to continue to go until the price hikes are no longer validated by the consumers. Um, when that will be, I don't know. We're, we're kind of at the point where people are paying more money for the same stuff that you got last generation at the same price, uh, or, or actually you, they were cheaper last generation for the same performance. So uh, I, I really don't know uh, when it comes to that. So, Well, so when, when I look at that, I think the first 
Tremor is going to be the consoles coming out. That'll wake a lot of people up. But And then Intel will enter. And I don't know when ARM will enter. They're clearly working on it, but it could be sooner than people think. I wouldn't be surprised. I guess, though, I would say I would I would be surprised if ARM was in the market in 2021. Probably be 2022, at least. Who knows, though? I heard next year. So that's, I know that's what I heard too, but I'm like, really? All right. I guess we'll, Hey, I'll be happy if they do. I mean, how long, uh, how long have they been working on it? We don't know. So it could be 10 years in the making. Well, and and we don't know what they're targeting. They might enter it next year and it might be APUs for their laptops. Like they might not roll out the strong ones right away. That's the same thing Intel's doing. So we'll see. But one thing I've talked about that I think people need to remember is it wouldn't be soon, but if prices stay this out of whack, and I've heard a couple people mention, by the way, I think, I don't remember what the other ones were, but I mean, there's been so many other GPU makers 20 years ago. Some of those companies still exist. I know Via has their own GPU architecture that they've let go dormant, but Look, here, eventually some smaller or big company will look at these margins. When you have margins over 50, like the margins are higher than Apple. AMDs is at Apple prices now. They literally are. Apple has usually 60 to 80% markup. I think NVIDIA is over 100 by now. No, I mean, I, I could look it up, but no, they're typically between around 60. Well, it depends on the card, right? If you well, look, yeah, no, some have like ten thousand percent. I know that's over. what I'm saying. Those people buying 2080 Ti's, it's uh, it's like a well, those are you think that's ridiculous? I mean, they sell 2080 Ti die the TU 102s for ten grand. I mean, a thousand dollars is nothing. No, yeah, I know, but like they could go much cheaper if they had to. If you compare it to Fermi, is is what I'm saying. The die sizes, you know, and so uh, once you get to Apple markup levels on some of your products, other companies will take notice and go, "We want a piece of that pie." And the danger Nvidia is creating for themselves, to a lesser extent AMD, is that if they let it get too high as the standard. A, a drunken idiot can wander in and take your market share as long as it's cheaper because it, it wouldn't be good at first and it wouldn't come right away. Again, I, like these prices are probably going to stick around for years now, but eventually I do think someone could just enter in with outdated tech. And again, the comparison I would make is, you know, right now they could use the last gen node. They could make it, it would use 300 watts, but they can buy the same quality liquid coolers AMD uses. They can just buy that. That's not some secret technology. And then they could just put more GDR6 on it. That's not, they can put as much as they want. So they could make a card a little weaker than like a 5700. Maybe it'll use 300 watts. Maybe it will take up more space, but they could make a 10, 20% profit with a liquid cooler and 16 gigs of RAM on that thing and sell for 200 bucks. Like they could. There could See, be a company that does that. Yeah, the problem is I don't think people would buy it. Um, like I said, the prices have now been Not validated. right now, but if the 5700 was $500 and they said, hey, this is 200 Well, don't... I mean, I mean there's always going to be something cheaper. So they might have like a RX 5200 for $300. And it might be 50% slower than this, this card that you're talking about. Um, people you know, not AMD, but the NVIDIA counterpart, maybe like a GT 2030 in this fictitious example, um, at $300, people buy that. It doesn't doesn't matter how fast the card is. Um, Most people would, but I still think once things go complete, if, if things got substantially worse, people would look at other options. I don't think they're going to take the market. 
but I think they could wander in and take part of it. It depends on what they leave on the table. If both NVIDIA and AMD, for example, leave the sub $100 market, they're already out of that. So Yeah, NVIDIA is. They both are, from, from what I can tell. AMD's at least got APUs that they can use to argue things. Sure, sure. Uh, and I think that's what they want. I think they want to leave APUs for the, the entry level, for now anyway. But yeah, so basically the sub $100 market's dead to discrete graphics for the most part. And then the $1 to $200 range is almost dead. So yeah, I, I think some competitors might be able to get into that range and maybe punch mm -hmm. one or two tiers above it. Yeah, I, I can see that happening. And some, they might have a monicum of success. It just depends on their marketing, honestly. If they can market it right, they need to buy the influencers out there. Um, I mean, I've talked about that. That's one of the biggest reasons why the market's as shitty as it is, is because people are being advertised to all day long. So these people need to spend, you know, a couple hundred million dollars. That's a huge investment <laughs> for selling $200 video cards, though. That's, yeah. that's, that's the problem, because you need to buy off companies. You need to have everybody talking about your product all the time. Even if it is the best product, you still need to pay people to talk about it. And it's, you do. it's crazy. But what, what's so funny is, as you pointed out before, is how cheap it is for them to just give a graphics card to, AM, to a, a tech tuber and have it in the background, like a graphics card that costs them nothing to give away. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's the cheapest thing. If they can bribe people by giving them product, that's, oh, that's great. You know, uh, any company worth their salt and anybody with a decent-sized market, you know, if they could, for example, if uh, <clears throat> either AMD or NVIDIA came to you and they're like, hey, we'll give you this brand new, you know, Titan RTX card. but I'll use it. You know, <laughs> We, yeah, I'm sure you would. Um, but you got to talk up our product, and when competing products come out, you have to use our talking points. There's, al there's always strings attached with these things. And if you take that, yeah, I mean, for them, it costs them maybe a couple hundred bucks. Um, now, some people out there might be like, yeah, I'll take the card and, you know, six figures on top, and then we'll talk. Yeah. And that that's when things start getting a little bit crazy out there. But that's how marketing works. That's how a lot of these behind the scenes workings of business goes. It's uh, it's not just who you know, it's who you own. It is, and it's gotten to an insane level at this point. I, I don't know that we actually need to get into it too much. We kind of, I think a lot of our recent videos have beaten that to death, but I guess one thing I would say about it though is eventually you can see this thing happening where more and more t smaller tech tubers, like there's that guy that we talked to, right? What's it, uh, Timo Tech? He throws out a video. I, I've checked out his channel once a month, and it's high quality. Uh, he, mm -hmm. you know, and he has a day job, but that's just him. He's throwing out a high quality video once or twice every month or so. And right. if you have ten tech tubers where this is a hobby and they only need to spend five hours a week doing that, then that makes the equivalent amount of coverage as a full tech site. And if all of them get their followings, that will become a problem for some of the most paid off tech channels where it will be death by a thousand cuts, I think, where people just say, oh my God, here we go. I mean, honestly, for me, it gets boring hearing the same talking points, every graphics card review from some of these people, which I don't name names, but usually, but it's, you just see it over and over. Just, you can tell they, they, they didn't even need to benchmark the cards. The, their opinion was made up. And I see some people, at least every, almost everyone who comes to me, comes to you, right? And Paul and other people. It's just like, I just got bored 
watching those benchmarks. They're boring now because they right. say the same talking points. Absolutely. There's definitely a rise in, like I've said it before. I mean, I think I was one of the first channels doing PC commentary. You know, it's not really review channel. I'll, I'll test stuff, but it's not a review channel. Uh, it's more of an opinion channel. And then, you know, you, Paul, and a couple other people have started picking that up. There was a couple other people, I think, doing it, but they just didn't. They either fizzled out or just didn't get too far because there really wasn't a market for it before. And there mm -hmm. definitely is now. There's people that just want to talk about this stuff because they're frustrated. And anytime you have a group of people that are frustrated, they want to understand why they're frustrated and understand what's going on and typically want to be as informed as possible. Now, I have seen things swing a little bit too much, and people are, are raging about things that don't need to be raged about, like the 5700 XT at 399, for example. At 449, I wasn't happy with it, and I, I raged a little bit, but I was like, it's overpriced, they need to fix this. They did, so yeah. it's like, okay, we're done. We're done. Price went down. We're good. But. Yeah, and there's a lot of people I've noticed in the comments still raging about that, and I don't know what to tell. I mean, honestly, I, for my opinion on that one, and you're especially right after the price drop, which I my opinion always was, hey, look, the, it'll go down in a month if you don't buy it, and the Orphan video responds, and it did. It was just, you know, like snap your finger. They're like, all right, drop the price. They don't care. Clearly, AMD's strategy is still, I don't know if it's the one I would go with, but they're still doing it where it's like, nope, we'll just adjust prices whenever we need to and seems to work fine. But if you look at the price of the 5700 XT, I mean, uh, what annoys me is when people compare it to Polaris because it's just not the same. It, it's the no. same type of a GPU, but it is not the same situation. It's better. Well, see, to the thing is, is you can take information and twist it for any purpose you want to fit whatever narrative you'd like. Mm. So that's what people do: is they take information and try to make. Or, well, no, they have the case that they want to make, and they will twist the data and the facts to basically prop themselves up in their ideas. Uh, it's not a Polaris replacement directly. No. Now, could they have sold it for two hundred and fifty dollars? Maybe. Uh, they could have sold it for three hundred. 300, I think, would probably be the absolute bottom, but they need to make money. Uh, mm -hmm. Just like any other company, they're delivering essentially 2080 Ti level performance at 399, which is normally an X70 class GPU and an X70 class price. I don't know where the problem really stems from that. So people will justify it by going, oh, die size, who gives a shit? It can be two millimeters squared. I don't care. Mm -hmm. It performs as well as a 2080 Ti. That's how much you pay for that level performance this generation. Well, they're late to the party. Okay, well, if they were that late, wouldn't NVIDIA's prices be cheaper? No, they're <laughs> not. They're actually higher, so why would they go lower? It doesn't make any sense. Well, and, I mean, my, the direct comparison, uh, Polaris was weak, what traded blows, at least at launch, with the 1060, a 192-bit card. This trades blows honestly i 2080 it trades blows 5700 xt there's games where it beats the 2080 more than a handful it, it uh, it's only like five ten percent weaker it, it, it's right up there with the as paul was raging about the 2070 super it's right up there it's right next to it so this is a completely different circumstance and polaris came out it was on a cheaper process too it was on a dirt cheap 14 nanometer process. Uh, it really, I think the 5700 XT is directly comparable to the 7870. It, it, it more competes with almost kind of the high end from last gen. It doesn't bring new performance to the table, but it, it's not 
it's like uh, the 7870 was like an upper range an upper mid-range card and they chose right. they, they charged 350 for it if you adjust for inflation and I did in one of my videos uh, the 7870 in today's prices would be 392 I'll give AMD the extra 8 bucks for the 400 <laughs> Right, right, exactly. I made that comparison as well. And, you know, it makes sense for them to come out with uh, basically a 5800, which basically be the 7970. And I, I have a feeling probably next month they'll they'll announce something like that, which is good. But once again, these are going to be expensive GPUs. They're mm -hmm. probably going to be 699 was my guess. They could be higher. AMD could go higher because, yeah, well. It's up to them because I, I, everything I've seen is that there's two higher dies being made. There's the probably what you would ever the 384 bit or GDR, whatever the bigger GDR6 card that's next. But I keep, I really think there's going to be a 5900 that uses HBM again. And that, that one's not going to be cheap. I don't think that'll be out till next year. No, that's I agree. Be, that's what I was saying yeah. though is that there, there's two bigger Navis coming. And the the RDN, they'll both be RDNA 2.0 to a certain extent, but one's GDR6. That one, I really think it'll be 12 gigabyte. And I think the perfect price would actually be something like 650 or like just right below where the Radeon 7 was since it has 12 gigabytes of RAM. But I don't know. They could, and, and, and there'd be a huge price gulf even at 650, honestly, for the 5800 XT. 5800, I don't know. I mean, 600, they just charge, I'd charge, yeah. Whatever they want to charge for that one, it's going to crush this 2080. So we'll see. But I, yeah. I do think this HBM card's coming though. And I do, yes, next year. And I do think it's going to, uh, I think that one might cost a ton, actually, <laughs> more I think about it. Like there's no reason if the, the, the 5800 XT, every reasonable estimate should place it around a 2080 Ti. So if that's going there and then they make some monster HBM card also, I don't know. They could go nine hundred dollars for the fifty nine hundred and fifteen hundred. Why not? It'll probably beat the Titan RTX, and you know, if people buy it, that's where that fifteen hundred dollar mark is. And you talked about that, right? About how there's actually a reason they probably want to hold the twelve hundred to fifteen hundred dollar reason, so they can throw crazy cards up there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, like you said, if somebody wants to make something with. 32 gigabytes of HBM2 or HBM3, for God's sakes. You know, and they're like, oh man, this thing costs like five, $600 to make. Well, shit, we can sell it for two grand. Yeah, all right. You know, they, they want to hold that range so they can do that. You know, the nuclear option, I guess, is probably the best way to call it. Uh, NVIDIA has basically fertilized that land, but mm. they didn't use any card that I would consider to be a nuclear option. The, the 2080 Ti, while reasonably impressive, it's not a typical generational jump. It's only about 30% faster. It's not great. It's definitely not worth $1,200. Even at $699, I've made the argument that it's still a bad deal. So at $1,200, it's just complete shit. But anyways, at $699, at the very least, you know, you, you could probably make the argument for it. Now, if AMD comes out with something, let's say 60, 70, twice as fast as a 2080 Ti, yeah, I mean, why wouldn't they want to go ahead and charge three grand for it? I've been wanting a true nuclear option for a while. I have no problem with there being a $1,500, a $2,000 price bracket if it's actually them throwing everything they got at it. When I first heard of the Titan, the OG Titan, I was like, I like the idea. I would like 
them to prove what they can make. And then, yeah, it had more RAM, but it was just a cut-down card. There's nothing there, and I was just so annoyed by the Titan. Because, And what really annoys me is I want a Titan. I want a 32-gigabyte HBM3, you know, whatever, like, by next year. Like, put it on 7-nanometer EUV, 6-nanometer EUV. Make it the biggest die size. Make it expensive. And put it at $2,000. I want... The idea of a Titan should be, or whatever AMD calls their version, should be, this is the pinnacle of our technology. This is the strongest you're going to buy for two years. I know, it's $2,000, but no one's going to get a stronger card than you for two years. I have no problem with that. That would be awesome. That's just not what it is. I'm on the flip side of that. I have a major problem with it. I know that's where things are going, but I have a big problem with that because we used to get the biggest, largest, fastest, most expensive thing that they could make for $500. So, Matt, look at the the GTX 580. I mean, the thing was like 600 millimeters squared. Uh, I was literally pushing the boundary, 384-bit. They didn't have HBM back then. Yeah, I guess they could have went 512-bit with it, but that's... They could have given it a lot more RAM. I do think that. And, and again, they didn't have to, right, for all of them. They could have given you... They could have just made a 4-gig version, and then you cut it down to 2 gigs. See, that's why I also don't have a problem with it, is I assume there's always going to be a cut-down model if there's competition. So they'll put the top one, and then, you know... Maybe $1,000 is where they put something that's, you know, where it was before, but at least the nuclear option's there. And as long as there's competition in the mid-range, I think you're always... I mean, look, I don't know for now. Things have gotten pretty ridiculous, but I, I think there will always be reasonable cards lower. I, I, I don't know. That's how, that's how I, I think I, about it. I think at the end of the day, what it's really going to come down to is you don't ever really need these nuclear options. No, you don't. That's why I don't care. Yeah, I, I think that's the the biggest point that we all miss. Like, We'll talk about these high-end cards and all these prices and all that. I'm testing. I'm actually testing out an RX 460, the the 460 that I bought. Mm-hmm. And honestly, for like 99% of gamers, this thing's far more than enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a $50 graphics card, and up until the next-gen consoles and those games come out, uh, yeah, this this is probably. Mm-hmm. Good enough for most people. Yeah, I mean, so when I did mining, I have all these hodgepodge of cards because when prices got out of whack, you had to pick and choose. Like once a 580 gets to, I don't know, $500, no one should, and they did, and those people were, I can assure you, by the way, there was some poetic justice. I can assure everyone listening, the miners who bought 580s for $500, and I know people who did, Lost a lot of money on that investment. They they did not know what they were doing. They just thought they'd make money no matter what, you know. So I got five sixties because those were reasonable for a while. And before I would lock in the BIOS, like I would I would overclock and then tamp it down a bit and then BIOS uh, flash it so I never had to overclock it again before I hook it up. And I tested out all these cards and I I used a five sixty for a couple of days. And uh, I mean I was actually really impressed with the RX five sixty, which same thing, you know. Uh, it, I mean that thing ran. If you were willing to use low to medium settings on Battlefield One, you could play in a hundred hertz with that. With that tiny little hundred, it was a hundred dollars back then, right? And I yep. remember playing with that. I tested out the three eighty, um, my five seventies, obviously. All of these cards, I was like, honestly, if it was just about the games for me, all of these cards are fine. Like the R nine three eighty, this card's still fine. Yeah, and I mean that was basically the argument that I made in my uh, video. This morning, I think it went up this morning. And it, it 
you don't need all the that stuff. I mean, it's nice to have, and yeah, it's fun to talk about. And me and you, we're always going to be talking about it because it's fun. But me personally, I'm never buying any of that. You know, hey, yeah, if somebody comes out with a five thousand dollar GPU and it's like eight times stronger than a twenty eighty Ti, that that's really cool, and people want to talk about that. I'm never going to recommend it. I'm not going to buy it. But you know, it's still cool that it exists. And I, I, I guess. I wish we could talk about the cool. I just wish it existed. But well, here's, I guess, it was people already talking about these quote-unquote God-tier cards, but they're not God-tier. So at this point, I just wish they were. So it was actually worth talking about. Yeah, I, I guess that would make sense. Yeah, if, if there was a card that could run the most demanding modern games, like let's say Metro Exodus, 4K, 120, or 144, locked, and then there's a card twice as fast as that. <laughs> that card is completely unnecessary. You totally don't need it. But that would be God tier because you yes. literally do not need the performance of that card. Until we have 4K 120, we still need faster cards. Well, or or, or if you're playing in 8K, I guess you could make the argument. But that's what that would be for. It's God tier. Hey, uh, you can buy an experimental monitor and this will actually be able to run it. I, 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 it would be cool. Linus will run them in quad SLI and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Or he'll run it in 16K, which was interesting, too. Uh, I think Minecraft was the <laughs> only one that kind of worked. But um, uh, I guess, too, what I want to hit on is, and I think I don't have a test bench yet. I will probably get one within a year and I think I just thought of this today. What I'm going to do is whatever games I run, whatever settings I run my games app, when I push the settings, I'm not lowering them. That's what I'm going to use in the benchmark as long as I can have like eight cards. Like I mine, so I'm selling off all my mining cards now, but I'm going to keep a 560, a Vega card. I'm going to keep a 570. I'm going to keep my best overclocking Vega 64. Um, eventually, I'll get a couple of NVIDIA cards. Like I'd like to have like, I don't know, right? like a GTX 570 or 580 in there, uh, 1080. These types of cards, just so I, I'm... It's not going to be hardware unboxed. That's not my point. I got 10 cards you can look at my benchmark. And I want to run them at the settings I actually run them at because sometimes you get some radically different performance. There's always these settings you can turn down. You can't tell the difference and it can double your performance. And when I see people showing like, you know... Six like 50 frames a second, and then they're like, well, AMD loses by 10%. And it's like, yeah, but those aren't the settings people actually play at, or at least I hope not. The, the reason why you do presets is, number one, it's easier for people at home to basically benchmark against you. If you go, okay, so I'm running these all at 1080p ultra or 1080p high. Now, of course, you can do tweak guides. I mean, those are good videos. I think Tim from Hardware Unbox, he does uh, tweak guides whenever mm -hmm. big games come out and uh, basically shows the difference between each setting. That's a lot of testing. Uh, personally, I don't have the patience for all that. Um, I run all my games at high. I don't run ultra. And unless ultra is high, you know how they have like something above ultra now. Uh, then I'll run ultra. Whatever is above, like one step down from the top. And uh, usually I can't tell the damn difference between the two, so. Yeah, well, and what's really annoying is what I'll find is if I turn half of the settings to high and then even some of them to medium, 
I can't tell the difference. It'll look as good as insane mode or whatever the game has. And yet I'm literally getting twice the performance or there will be a couple settings like, for instance, the post-processing thing in Battlefield 5 is just completely not worth it. I mean, it's okay in Battlefield 5, but every previous Battlefield, this was a thing that added like extra reflections to your gun and it would cut your performance in half. And most of the time, I mean, think of the guns too. Half of the guns are dark and you can't even see the reflection and you're cutting your performance in half. Right. And if you're playing multiplayer, you shouldn't be looking at your gun. Otherwise, you're going to be losing a lot. Yeah. I mean, and I I just think so many people miss that point that you could be using mid-range cards. And honestly, like, I've seen people swear by this. Like, they don't, especially a lot of older gamers, they'll say, you know what? I don't even need 60 hertz. If it jumps around 40, I can't tell the difference with my eyes anymore. So I just get a 580 and I can tell the difference between 4K though. And they'll just run the game in 4K on a 580 and they'll turn down a handful of settings. And they're like, I'm getting above 30. It's fine. Like there's a lot of things you can do with a lot of these weaker cards that is just not covered enough, I don't think. And what I... It's not glorified. And it's overlooked. To, uh, at that, at, in a lot of ways. And I think what I want to do is I, I plan on making some kind of GPU hierarchy chart like Tom's Hardware. And I say used to do because, I don't know, Tom's Hardware's hierarchy charts for me have just become a, <laughs> a complete joke of weirdness. And so uh, we're... And I really want to assess like what it means to call a graphics card in another tier because there's a lot of things you could objectively say where you could go, honestly, that one's not in another tier. It is more performant, but it is not in a higher tier because it used to make sense. There used to be these definite tiers where it's like, hey, look, the 7970 is three gigs of RAM. It is stronger than the 7850. It is stronger than the 7870. It is definitely stronger. There are things you can do that you just, you're not running on that. Well, I've, I've been making that argument here lately. And, you know, typically I'd say for a tier gap, it's gotta be at least 30%. That's like, bare minimum for me. Because uh, as I made the argument a few days ago, you can't tell the difference between 10% frame rate difference. It's impossible. It's too small. Um, Even if you get up to 200 frames per second, that's only 20 FPS. You're not going to be able to tell the difference there. You need at least a 30% jump to even kind of notice a difference. So, I mean, that that to me is an actual gap uh, or a tier gap would be 30% gap. It can be, but I want to play around with the ideas of like, but what if this card has four gigabytes of RAM and this one has eight gigabytes of RAM and the one with eight gigabytes of RAM, if you turn down one specific setting, it's just wildly stronger than this other card. Because those are things that are overlooked that's kind of hard to talk about sometimes. When you say 20% stronger, I mean, and I'm not saying this is a good example, but it is an example of the like the setting issue where... If you have, uh, and I noticed this uh, the longer I had it, a 7970, at this point, just turn off tessellation in all your games. Like, and it wasn't meant to ever run that level of tessellation. And if you do, it, if you just turn off that one setting, and I know polygons will be worse in some games, not all of them, it's not all that worse in some of them, you'll get per- to performance that's actually substantially higher than you'd expect in some of these games. Well, I mean, to keep it fair, just disable tessellation on all cards tested. So this way it's fair and balanced. Everybody's running the exact same code, pushing the same polygons. Mm -hmm. And like I said, at that point, still keep that 30%. Now, if the 
Uh, 79.70 does jump up, let's say, to that 30% mark above, uh, what the hell was its competition? The uh, oh, 680? Yeah. Or, or, you know, it's probably like twice as fast now, but just... Yeah, it would be if you turned off Tessellation, yeah. Easily twice as fast, probably. I don't even know. But that just comes down to testing methodology. I turn off Tessellation in all games that have the option. Um, if it doesn't have the option, I just leave it on by default, just because... It's uh, not as much as an issue as it used to be, though, to be clear. That's it's pretty much... You can't tell... Uh, that was a funny one in Metro 2033, actually, as I noticed that turning off Tessellation was indistinguishable 99% of the time. And in that game, it literally doubled performance. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> um, but, and this is, I guess, another thing when it comes to visual quality I do want to talk about is ray tracing. And it's something I made in an old video that only has like a thousand views, but that I don't think enough people highlight. Like, I want to completely articulate this. The problem I have with ray tracing isn't that it can't look better. It's two things. It's number one, when they showed that Battlefield Five ray tracing demo, I was just laughing because they went into slow motion and showed that tank firing. and It looked like shit. The fire coming out of that tank looked like shit. And then they're like, but look at the reflection in this, you know, this one puddle. I'm like, can you please fix what that fire looks like first, guys? (laughs) Like, until we we have so much low-hanging fruit when it comes to graphics that we should fix before we worry about tessellation. And the fact is, this is hybrid tessellation. I even would go as far as to call it You mean ray tracing. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, Hybrid ray tracing. I would even call it fake ray tracing. The real goal of ray tracing long-term is that you don't need to go in and specifically light each area manually. That's what, and that is what Jensen Wang was kind of talking about when he said it just works for indie devs. Sure. Yeah, you put a sun outside, you put a couple lights on in a building, and then boom, there you go. It does it all itself, yeah. But it's not, though. They still have rasterized lighting going on at the same time. So it's really, if you break it down, they're just bolting on another thing like occlusion. They're just bolting on another effect. It's not real ray tracing. They And no. now they even had to go in. They made them. They made DICE go in and manually adjust the rays in each level so that you could get better performance. No, so they're just adding more work to the devs again. And until we fix all these other issues, it's just not worth the, hand, the hassle. Until we can move to this thing where where at least the RT cores are running the lighting. Like, that's one thing I thought about too It would be cool is, what if there was a ray tracing setting that was like, we'll call it minimal, and it was so low that it looked about the same as standard lighting in terms of quality, but it actually ran it on the tensor cores, so you at least offloaded some of the cuticore work. There's an argument, but they're not even doing that. And until... Well, they can't yeah, they can't until the technologies and everything. So that that's kind of the goal of this generation uh, is just to get the stuff out there. They really wanted to get in developers' hands in the Quadro cards, and of course the worst right. the worst silicon sell them to gamers because they'll buy them, and that's that's how it works. But they're just trying to get it out there, and then you know five generations from now when the MX five ten or something for your next uh, laptop or whatever that has RT cores and whatnot, then they can start implementing all these things because it would have to be in every single graphics card uh, made for at least the past five years before they can do that, before they're like, okay, this is how this works because then, then you're asking them to double their work and developers, they're not going to do that. Developers aren't, but the way that ray tracing is likely going to be implemented in the next generation consoles, mm-hmm. they'll probably just do the, the small things like the reflections 
Eliminate screen space reflections. I don't think that they're gonna bother with the lighting because it's too expensive. It's just too hardware expensive. We would literally need 10, 20 times more powerful graphics cards to do 100% ray tracing at like 30 FPS. So there's, that's just not going to happen. Well, not with any current soon. architectures. It would take a completely new architecture built around ray tracing. And you just can't afford to do that yet when you have to run all this other stuff. I mean, maybe 15 years down the road when we got 3D stacking, you could have different levels of the GPU die doing different things. I mean, yeah, eventually we could probably get there, but it's not anytime soon. So the smart thing for them to do is just start baking in the basic technology into things so this way we can eventually get there and just keep it simple. Get rid of screen space reflections. Do like the stupid thing like in Battlefield. Fix the fire. You know, that kind of <laughs> stuff. Um, so I think that's the way that they're going to go. It's not going to be anything super crazy or groundbreaking. And honestly, for most gamers, they're not going to notice the difference. They just aren't. Um, not for years and years to come. Well, and I mean, what really annoys me is it's like, I wish you'd just do effects that you can do well. Even games that aren't cartoony will age really well if you only try to do the things you can do. And like, uh, actually my favorite example is uh, Metal Gear Solid 2. That game still looks pretty damn good, actually. <laughs> and it's because they're like, well, we have to render real people, but we're going to do it in a lower polygon count way with a lot of solid colors, but just enough variance where it looks better than a cartoon game. And, you know, we can't do a million blades of grass like Call of Duty 4 tried to do. And it looked great at the time, but if you step back, Call of Duty 4, I think, still looks pretty good. But if you look at some of the bushes, it looks like you just had like those old 2010 YouTube JPEG things there, like just right. popping up. And what Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3 decided to do is, you know what, we're going to not try to do a million blades of grass. We're going to do a thousand. So our blades of grass look a little cartoony. They're huge, but we're actually rendering them. It's like stuff like that. Like fix the fire. Like just do a fire effect that looks good. And then we can worry about other stuff. I would argue make the game good first. Oh, yeah, maybe that comes first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, make the game. And I would also argue that the music is far more important than graphics. Like, I'd rather I know, be playing... I, know, I agree, I agree, yeah. Yeah, I'd rather play, you know, uh, Final Fantasy VII block people, you know, with really great music than, you know, a lot of these games with high-fidelity graphics and then there's no audio. Like, when I found out that the Quake 2 RTX was missing the audio, I'm like, <laughs> playing, <laughs> what? playing Quake 2... Yeah, playing Quake 2 without music is like just stabbing yourself in the face because reasons. I mean, why the hell would you ever do that? That's what made that game so awesome. It pumped you up. So I mean, yeah, like, like for me, looking at old games like that, like Half-Life 2, where you like arrive there and break out with a pistol and then they play that techno music while you start running away. I'm like, that mm -hmm. made that scene. The music is so important. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, music's far more important than graphics. And guess what? That takes zero extra CPU power. That just takes a good composer. Well, yeah. And <laughs> circling back to one thing, too. Supposedly, the one big thing they don't talk about a lot, because people just don't bring it up, but they're saying is that the PS5 is... And I don't know what the Microsoft will have, but at least I know the PS5 will have some kind of dedicated new surround sound card that at least Sony is going to market it. This is next-gen audio. And it's like, yep, and that'll probably sound really cool on your uh, living room sound speakers. You can't even get that on PC. It's uh, it's 
it, it's very annoying to see the priorities. I, I do want to say one more thing about RTX 2, actually, which is that one thing that annoys me, like I always say that um, these were professional. It's very clear that Maxwell was built for gaming. I mean, they had other uses for that kind of performance that it could put out, but it was a gaming architecture, which I found interesting. It was a gaming architecture, truly. Yeah, it was built for mobile, actually. Yeah, and and it was crazy efficient, and it, it blew away performance. But when you look at Turing, I was like, all right, so this is their new Fermi. Like, this is their new compute architecture. Oh, I see what they're doing. All of these cards that have RTN tensor cores, this is for AI and developer ray tracing stuff and now they're just uh dlss that's why we use this in the die like this is just literally they had to come up with some excuse for why this is taking up die case so gamers don't complain too much and this is not uh, look yeah hybrid ray tracing is going to be in the consoles but the consoles aren't using the same methods so when people yeah. say and that's what enraged me about that Digital Foundry review that I saw for the 5700 XT, where they said, well, you got to buy these Turing cards for the future. And I'm like, don't you get it? They won't run the ray tracing the consoles are going to use. Or let's be clear, we don't know if it can even run it. I mean, it might. It'll, it it'll might accelerate something. it. It might not. It'll, it'll, I would. I don't think Nvidia would let them not have it because they would kill people with their marketing department. Or the, you know, we know how Nvidia works. They would not be happy if a game, if Battlefield Six came out and it had this, you know, a DXR method that worked for AMD. And actually, I hear Intel's going to have their own. And then they just didn't sure. work. It, they'll, they'll, they'll find a way to make it work on the old Turing cards. But Well, yeah, but then you see EA with their handout, and they're like, well, you got to pay for this. I mean, we're not doing oh, yeah. this for free. So, I mean, that's that's not going to help them if it goes that way. Yeah, and and just because it runs doesn't mean it's going to run a quarter. And I, and I know it sounds like I'm, a, you know, exaggerating, but I, I don't actually think I am. Like you say, we don't know for sure. But there is a very real chance that whatever's in the consoles, what comes to RDNA 2.0, they'll be able to brute force it a little bit probably with Vega and RDNA 1.0 as they demonstrated in some demos. We don't know if Turing will run the consoles ray tracing any better than Vega will. We, we don't know that. And you might get into a situation where it actually runs it worse than anything out and you paid all this money to not have ray tracing when... Pretty soon, $500 graphics cards are running it four times as well because it's just a different method and they're going to program around the consoles. And I think ultimately your point is AMD's method of ray tracing will become the definitive version. Mm -hmm. That is what ray tracing will be. NVIDIA's proprietary technologies never work out because number one, they're proprietary and it doesn't work on everything. Two, AMD's going to be in these super powerful consoles that we spent like 30 minutes talking about. Mm -hmm. That's what all developers are going to base their next generation game engines around. They're not going to base it on RTX. They might tack that on as an add-on, but everything's going to be based with the AMD ray tracing implementation. So yeah, whatever they do, NVIDIA is either going to have to catch up or adapt to. And your old card will have problems. And that's just something I've always said. I mean, just in general, don't buy an NVIDIA card to last any amount of time. You buy it for 10 months because who knows what's going to happen. I mean, Kepler I, was the most egregious outcome, I think, where it was just laughable how much the performance fell apart with modern games and the next-gen consoles. But, I mean, you don't know. And that's why I don't mind getting NVIDIA cards in my laptop because laptops fall apart in two years. But in a desktop... 
It doesn't matter what new feature NVIDIA is marketing. It's just, I don't know, you know, buyer beware. Don't buy any card from NVIDIA to last more than a year. It was my general advice. I, I would phrase it a little differently. I wouldn't buy NVIDIA's cards for their features. NVIDIA's features sure. are like Google's, you know, projects. They, they show <laughs> up, they don't do so well, and then they go away. So um, saying that you're buying RTX is worth extra money, it's not. It No NVIDIA feature is worth extra money. You buy it for the performance, and that's it. Unless Just it works it now, there. and it doesn't. <laughs> Right. But, you know, like you buy a 2080 Ti because you want the fastest card. Okay, I get that. That makes sense. It's the fastest card. And saying you're buying a 2080 Ti for ray tracing, that's just stupid. Titan RTX is the fastest card, everybody. Well, fastest quote-unquote gaming nope. card. I always like to jab that, though, because I'll see it. I just want the strongest card. And then I respond, so you have a Titan RTX? No. Okay, so your correct statement is, I just always want the second fastest card. That's why I paid $1,200. And they never uh, get back to me when I say that, because it's pretty depressing when you phrase it that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I used to say, uh, you know, back when the 1080 Ti, the same argument. I'm like, oh, so you got a Titan V then, huh? Yep. Oh, you don't have a $3,000 video card? Well, yours is junk. What are you doing? I thought you wanted the fastest. It's well, like half as fast. I want the second fastest. Do you? Well, uh, <laughs> why not third then? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, there's no difference between third, fourth, and fifth. I mean, you can go down the stack. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, there was a weird time where you could even justify theories and stuff. And I remember the 290X and 390X holding together really well and just going, I, I'm not really seeing the performance uplift, guys. If you have a 390X, uh, <laughs> Well, I honestly think, like like we were talking about before, speaking about the 290, um, I mean, that was uh, GCN Gen 2. We're going through a very similar cycle because the 5700 XT, I agree, is very much a 7870. I think the 5800 will be the uh, 7970, 384-bit, just kind of follow in suit. I think they could go HBM. They might go DDR3. It just depends on what the efficiency gains are with RDNA 2, I think that's what it'll come down to. But I do believe that the GPU next year, the 5900, oh, we're assuming that's what it'll be called. Yeah, I do I think that that's going to be the next 290X. That's going to be the card that you buy, and it's going to last. Like, it's going to perform mm -hmm. as well as anything else, you know, throughout this next console generation. I think that's really going to be the card to invest in. I, I just could not agree more. I always used to say... When I started my channel, everyone wants a 4870, but that's not coming, especially not right away. And what we can hope for is a 3870 moment. And we kind of got it, but then I saw the reviews and the fact that the die size was small. And I'm like, no, nah, I think this is a GCN moment, guys. I think this is where they're going to launch these cards that age insanely well are in the next-gen consoles. And there's going to be some of these that beat NVIDIA's top card. There's, there's going to be some. I mean, they got a tiny die size already up there. It's, it's like 40% behind the 2080 Ti, and they can more than double the die size. I mean, you get a 20% density increase by going to 7 nanometer and then 6 nanometer, which is the marketing term. I don't want to get into an argument about if it's really 6 nanometer. That's what they're calling it. There's another 18% over the seven nanometer EUV. So they've got a lot of space to play with. They're, they're going to get up there again and it's going to age profoundly well, I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, what was it? Somebody was giving me some grief uh, about the 5700s because the 5700 XT in Forza Horizon 4 beats the 2080 Ti. It smashes the shit out of everything. Crushes Vega, Radeon 7, 2080 Ti. Just destroys it. 
And I look at that and everybody's like, that's the outlier. I was like, no, that's called optimization. That's a crazy outlier though. This is a problem I also have too, is that I always like, and going all the way back to the 7,000 series is yeah, the 680 and the 7970 would trade blows. But then even back in 2012, you'd see a game where it's like 30% stronger. And I'm like, what was that over there? Well, like that's weird. Uh, outliers are like 10, 20% or like the game just, or or in those games, right? In those games where, okay, AMD or NVIDIA wins by 50% more than usual, but the game's already running at like 30 hertz. So does anyone care? It's running like shit. But in a game that's running 120 hertz and then it goes even higher, you go, that is more than an outlier. It beat a Titan RTX probably, didn't it then? If it beat... I, I'm sure it would have, yeah. It, it, it's the fastest card at running Horizon 4. So you paid $2,500 and that's not just a game. That's like the best racing game pretty much at this point. So you're okay? Best racing game? Game, your $2,500 card in that game loses to a second best <laughs> or your second best one, the 2080 Ti, uh, loses. Uh, that wouldn't uh, piss you off. Well, the, w- the way that I look at it is, I mean, obviously Microsoft's building their games and game engines around oh, AMD yeah. hardware. So this is literally best case scenario. But if you wanted to see, like I said, the games in the Mid to you know teens, so basically 2014, 2017 era, those were pretty much designed with NVIDIA in mind. And that's kind of best case scenario for NVIDIA. If you want to see where things can go, especially with these new consoles, and if all these game developers figure it out, maybe we should optimize for these consoles, which they will, mm-hmm. that's not going to be the outlier forever. Everybody else is going to come around and develop and utilize those uh, the, the RDNA architecture to its absolute max. So that's kind of where things could get if software developers got off their asses. Yeah, and I guess I just thought of something too, just kind of uh, as another looming specter in the background for any NVIDIA fanboys here, which I don't mean to just pick on NVIDIA, but it's just really easy right now. Um, And again, I I just bought an NVIDIA graphics card. It's fine. You know, uh, some of their cards are still great. It's fine. They're just not helping themselves. I mean, if they lowered the price of the 2070 Super, even 50 bucks, I'd be like, that's fine. You know, now it's good again. Um, when it came out, I thought it, I thought it was fine. I thought it was okay, but then you know the twenty or fifty seven hundred XT numbers came out and they dropped money. So it's like, okay, now it's not good anymore. It's got to be cheaper. Uh, if they just lowered the twenty eighty Ti to six ninety nine and just lower down the twenty eighty Super to five forty nine, that's all they need to do, and then everything's fine. It's like, okay, that's good. Yeah, That's all they have to do. One thing to worry about, though, again, in terms of NVIDIA aging well is, uh, who? so would you say, uh, I'm kind of setting up a trick question, would you say NVIDIA is second most important to developers after AMD, after Radeon? Um, you're talking about for games or just in general? Uh, games. Uh, probably Intel would be next. Yep, that's what I was saying. So they're about to launch cards that are way better. They've basically just ran away. <laughs> since Skylake for their graphics upgrades. So they're coming back, though. And Ice Lake, so far, it hasn't impress, impressed me very much. The, the thing I say is, I mean, yeah, I know that Ice Lake's graphics are two to three times better than Skylake's, but uh, they haven't uh, changed Skylake for four years, guys. So it should be at least that. I was hoping for four times. 
And right, and and next year we're expecting probably a three times increase on the on the Navi APUs. So it's like whatever. Yeah, and even then they were still just kind of trading blows, but they're there. And I, and at least in my Ice Lake analysis, I, I extrapolate it and I said, yeah, I mean, I think Intel is going to target the mid range and make them crazy efficient. They'll get something in the barely high end. I don't. I just don't see the point. They build their graphics for laptops and other things, so I don't know why they would target. Um, 300 watts. I think what they want to target is 200 and scale it down, but we'll see. And they have 64 execution units already here. And it looks, I mean, I actually extrapolated it from Broadwell and I said, hey, they just hit a performance wall with Skylake. So if we extrapolate Broadwell, if they if they theoretically remove their performance scaling issues, I mean, even Broadwell should have scaled from the 10 watts it was at in the graphics department. You scale it up to 1080 Ti, it's more efficient. So that is going to be there. I think there will be some impressive. I think there's the argument there could be, and they're in all these laptops, and these laptops were are about to get way better at gaming. Second place is Intel. Nvidia's third place on the totem pole when it comes to optimization. See, the difference is Nvidia goes out and actually pays people. That that's the big difference. That that flips that script right around. Yeah, if left to their own devices. Um, for game developers, obviously, AMD is number one most important because of consoles. Then Intel because they own pretty much the entire laptop market. Yeah, I mean, they they own everything. Intel graphics are everywhere. Um, so then Nvidia is just this little odd man out, and yeah, they have to basically go out and basically say, hey, we'll give you ten developers for a year. We'll pay their salaries. They'll help you build this game, or we'll pay you a million dollars, or whatever it is. They have to bribe people to put their stuff into games. But that's what they do, and they've been very successful with that. Uh, NVIDIA is very smart. Just keep paying people, and you'll keep doing well. That's that's kind of the way the world works. Yeah, I thought about that, too, where if things got really scary for them, I bet they would go as far as to literally paying to port the entire games themselves. Like, they, just, yeah. they, they could just literally turn into a PC developer at that point. I'm actually... Really surprised that they don't do that because they have their own developer teams that they farm out. You know, all these people they send to companies, help them implement RTX and all this other shit. Um, and yeah, well, I don't know why that they don't, or maybe there's some sort of conflict of interest, or I, I don't know, maybe there's some reason why they haven't. But yeah, if they just had their own division where it's like, hey, yeah, EA, Ubisoft, all you guys, just make your console games, just send us the code, we'll, we'll take it from there. And then they would 100% own the PC gaming market forever. There, there's no way to get around that. Yeah, and that, but the thing is, AMD is going to push back, is starting, I've heard, pushing back pretty hard, too. Finally, they need to do something to not allow... NVIDIA, I mean, they're literally allowing NVIDIA to just buy the market from them. And uh, Well, they didn't have money. I mean... That, yeah, right. Now they have money. Yeah, they didn't have money. And uh, Intel, which you brought up, I was trying to tie it all together, but I forgot. Um, <laughs> Intel invested $18 billion for their graphics division. See, yeah, now, there you go. See, Intel's a threat to NVIDIA big time. <laughs> Intel's a threat to any company that they want to go after uh, on planet Earth. So what was it? Turing took 10 years and $1 billion worth of investment. Yeah, they were like, yeah, we're going to do 18 times that. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think if... You added up every dollar NVIDIA spent in R&D oh, no. ever. I'm pretty sure it's not $18 billion. Yeah, I, I know. It's funny to look at the R&D and people are like, look how much more NVIDIA spends than AMD. And then I'm like, uh, look at Intel up there. <laughs> yeah, they'll spend more money than AMD has ever made ever, ever. in R&D like one year. Yep, they do. 
And that's going to change a bit as AMD gets more money. Oh, oh yeah, and and that's that's kind of the the big swing there is yeah Ryzen and the CPU market that's where the big money is that's where grownups make the money, uh, Nvidia is the the little fly. So eventually, what's going to happen is I think all these companies they're going to be buying people left and right. They're going to be buying people on YouTube. They're going to be buying companies. They're going to be buying sponsorships and shit everywhere. And it's going to be interesting to say the least. <laughs> I was like, um, I guess you could call that interesting. <laughs> It's going to be interesting. It's going to be weird. But yeah, that's the way that NVIDIA controlled the market because it doesn't make any logical sense to make games for NVIDIA cards. Like you said, they're bottom of the ladder. Um, but they pay people. And, and so. to tie it back to that point I made too is at least from talking to the server engineer and what some other people have said this too, actually. Um, actually, Cortex and has a lot of people that work in the game industry he talks to. And they said they just hate non-open standards and it is getting to the point though where some developers and uh, frankly you can see it it's in plain sight how many developers work with nvidia three games in a row like never you always see this where they just switch back to amd out of nowhere and it's because they hate the black box they hate the bugs that come from letting nvidia program it for you and now that amd is going to do it too it's like yeah they're all going to do it but at the end of the day if everyone's doing it it's almost like no one's doing it. They will have to make the game run on everything if everyone's doing it. It'll just be like an equalizer. And Radeon is the most graphics that are out there because of consoles, then Intel, then NVIDIA. And that's what you got to worry about if you buy any NVIDIA, if you ever make the argument for paying for future NVIDIA features <laughs> is they're the bottom of the totem pole. Yeah, that, that's just a terrible idea. It, like I said, it's going to get interesting. Once AMD's got their war chest, Intel could just literally buy the whole market. Like every <laughs> game for five years is going to be an Intel-sponsored game. I mean, if they wanted to, they they could do that. Um, they're the only one that can. But yeah, NVIDIA's primary marketing strategy isn't going to work anymore. So, yeah. Um, I showed you the thumbnail for the video that I'm going to be working mm -hmm. on. And there's another one that I'm going to be doing here soon. It's basically going over why I'm scared for NVIDIA. Like we talk about NVIDIA a lot. It's because they're a major player. They are the primary key player in the PC gaming space. But for how long? Like we just outlined how they could be pushed out very easily. So mm -hmm. for me, I, I think they're a company with a 10-year lifespan. Um, their investors are pushing them out of their primary uh, market, which is gaming. They're a company that makes gaming cards. Their investors want them to really focus in on this data center thing because they think it's going to be this umpteen trillion dollar business in the future. Oh man, think of all them profits 20 years from now. First off, you got to get there. That's kind of the hard part. And Turing is flat out just a slap in the face to their primary customer base. Now, they're being rewarded for this now, but eventually, once there's more competition, it's not going to work. As a company with their current business practices, I simply cannot see them making it in a competitive market. Yeah. And what I would say, too, is I don't know if you listened to that, though, the podcast with the cloud engineer, and he, and he said more afterwards, too, that this idea that like Intel, I mean, I'm sorry, um, NVIDIA's in data centers and stuff. It's like, I, I hope everyone, they just got to understand, NVIDIA's drivers are not regarded well in the industry, not even their professional ones. Every, and I've got a few now that I talked to because they liked it when I talked to that guy. So I've got this small server following now and 
There you go. They talk about how, no, they hate NVIDIA and Data Center, that AMD's cards are significantly more reliable, crash significantly less often, and that de it depends on the app, and, and NVIDIA is very good at showing their cards looking efficient, but it's the same with mining. I'm telling you guys, AMD is not as inefficient as you think. Like, I don't know what AMD does with their voltage on their gaming cards. I, frankly, it, it frustrates me, because I'm pretty sure they can make all of their cards more efficient if they would just put in the extra effort. But in the data center, if you're running the right application these cards are built for, Vega is profoundly efficient. Profoundly efficient. Well, that's what that's what Vega was designed for. Mm -hmm. And he said even the Polaris cards were, though, to a certain extent, even though he said the Polaris ones weren't that reliable. And I'm like, well, those weren't meant for a game, you know. And, and that's the thing is NVIDIA is a gaming company. So anyone, I just, again, the, oh, I guess right here I go. This isn't financial advice uh, for anyone, but it's just that's this idea that they can just shift the data center they're not well respected and what i and what cortex said is people just hate working with them like they just bully you around yeah i mean i mean jim made that video a long time ago basically showing all the bridges that nvidia's burned yes and that's right as a company yeah nobody wants to deal with them so no one will shed a tear <laughs> they only really have the pc gaming space that's that's what i keep trying to tell people it's like you're talking about this little niche of a niche of a niche that I had to do a video saying that even the biggest people in this industry make literally nothing on Patreon. Like, that's how niche this entire market really, really is. And you think the king of this super niche market matters? They don't. Uh, AMD is doing far better in the instances where it matters, in data center and servers. They're making deals with Google and Amazon. You know, the companies in the world that buy billions of dollars worth of product, not thousands, not hundreds of dollars worth of product, billions of dollars worth of product. That's how you win. That's what Intel is going to do. That's what Intel's been doing. Uh, NVIDIA is a very small fish. And like I said, I'm very afraid for them within 10 years. Now, if they focused 100% on their core gaming market. Uh, they could crush it if they really tried. That's what's annoying yeah. too. And they don't have to be shitty and shady about no. it. They don't have to bribe people. They don't have to buy companies. Just make the best products you can at the best possible prices that you can. And to hell with your shareholders. These people are pushing you in a direction that's going to sink your company. Go ahead and back the people that built your company, which is people that bought your gaming cards. And that will save their company. That will keep NVIDIA in business forever. Their share price might go down 75% from where it is now. Company might only be valued at a couple hundred million dollars. Not not a billion dollar or a hundred billion dollar company, maybe like a $10 billion company. But that's fine. You'll you will never, ever, ever go out of business. You will never go out of business if you have people that constantly buy your products, which they do have now. But that's not going to be that way forever. No, and I, I think people really overestimate NVIDIA's mindshare, the damage that was done recently. It was always there. There were always tons of people that would shit on them. But now there's more tech tubers and more tech tubers just saying things honestly. And at the same time, they just burnt so many bridges recently with Turing and all these other things. And uh, I guess one big point too, I want to point out just really with these other markets is they were, I mean, I would say the one thing that was kind of justifiable for making the argument NVIDIA should be a big Intel-like company is that they were trying to get into self-driving. They kept talking about their AI cards. And then like in a year, Tesla hires Jim Keller. They build their own self-driving ASIC 
that I believe was like two, like 20 times more efficient at just self-driving data and self-driving. Because all it does, yeah. And they did that in a year. A non-computing company did that in a year. Like, come on. You get Jim Keller to build you a toaster, it's going to be the most efficient, amazing fucking toaster ever made. Yeah, but that, but they, every company can do this. And we're moving into this world of ASICs and it comes to AI and the idea that NVIDIA is going to do some ray tracing thing or AI thing, maybe. But it would need to be they just, they just focus on gaming and then you have to pick one and i would argue they should pick ray tracing and then they just pick ray tracing and they make different cards just for ray tracing that are at like an asic level because any every company is just going to start building their own stuff and i'm seeing a lot of asic ray tracing startups showing up on like the stock exchange it's like they're never going to beat these specific companies there's it's a big world no. there's going to be all these other companies making chips for very specific tasks they're always going to be 100 times more efficient it's just gaming that's all they've got right now and unless they just decided on two things and it's just and again if 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 and if tesla can make a 20 times more efficient ai card than nvidia can in a year what do you think every other company can do i mean come on yeah i mean jim keller's only got so much time but you know if you have enough money he'll he'll come say hi to you you can get one of the other ones you could just get like the backup jim keller's like raja kadori or something <laughs> I, I, no, it's worth waiting. It's worth the extra expense. <laughs> I agree. Just, I agree. Just, just, just get Jim because I mean that's what I've heard him described as before, though for certain tasks is that there these there's like the three big ones. Jim Keller's one yeah. of them, and then there's like fifty where it's like yeah, but they're still ten times better than everyone else. But they're not Jim Keller. <laughs> <laughs> that's well. Let, let's face it. The guy's literally. I mean, he literally makes companies. He he can make you a company. If you have enough money to pay him to build something and he lets you for some reason have the patent, congratulations, you now have a multi-billion dollar company. You know, NVIDIA should hire him. I mean, it's entirely possible. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, we covered every point I wanted to talk about. We're at about the point where I want to stop so that the editing isn't a nightmare. So uh, is there anything else you wanted to cover? No, I mean, that's pretty much all the big stuff that's going on with me. Um, just... The fact that gaming doesn't require that much. I'm just going to kind of do a bullet point summary because we did a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. But gaming, you can do that at a very reasonable price. You don't need some exorbitant hardware. Uh, but it'd be cool if there really was some crazy shit. Like, I agree. If there's a $5,000 graphics card that nobody actually needed, but it existed, that's cool. Um, the other big thing is, like I said, NVIDIA, I'm worried about them as a company. But at the same time, their bad practices are being validated by the current customer base. So the people out there are basically, they are voting with their wallets. People that are sane, that want good value, you're, you're screwed. You're done. You're being outvoted, plain and simple. Market says, this is good. Continue raising prices. Performance increase, that's optional. You know, if you want to make it faster, that's fine. If you don't, it's cool. Keep raising prices. Uh, market said that's good. So shit kind of sucks right now. But within 10 years, this whole thing's going to autocorrect itself. Mm -hmm. I think smart move is wait until the uh, RDNA uh, 5900 XT, as long as they don't price it super crazy. It's going to be the next R9 290, 290X. 
buy one of those next year. It's going to be the only graphics card you're going to need until... I mean, <laughs> who knows? You, it 7970 still works every game. You turn off a couple of settings. So 290X certainly still works in absolutely every game. So, I mean, yeah, it, the card could last you six years. There's and Or, you know, uh, the consoles will be... Uh, well, you know, the big RDNA will probably come out around the same time. So those coming out at the same time are really going to be wake-up calls and... I, I just wouldn't bother with a lot of the high-end stuff right now unless you need it for some other non-gaming task. Then it's fun to have around, but otherwise, I, I, I don't think it's really worth it. Yeah, anything beyond a $400, $5,700 XT, I wouldn't say it's worth it. Yeah, I think I saw you say that, that, er, that the 5700 XT is the best option if you're going to spend between $300 or $1,000. Yeah, between $300 and $1,000, it's the only graphics card to buy. It wiped out that It really range. did, actually. I mean, if you think about it. Again, Vega's good for non-gaming stuff, uh, but, I mean, if you look at the 2080, it, even the 2080 Super, what are we talking? 10% better than the 5700 XT? And I mean, the... 15%. Yeah, 15%. And, and in the AIB models, I mean... Sapphire's got a toxic version. It's going to be liquid-cooled, 16 gigabytes of RAM. Could beat the 2080 Super. Could. I mean, I could see them push it that far, or at least close. And then... I don't know. For, from what I've seen, the clocks don't go that much higher. I mean, the performance is what it is, but it doesn't have to compete with the 2080 Super. Being within 15%, but being, what, half the price, essentially? Yeah. I mean, that that's really all you need to do. It makes it stupid. I mean, if the 2080 Super was 50 or 60% faster. Sure. Yeah. yeah, you know, you could justify it, but but it's not. It's just not that much faster. So, yeah, it completely wiped out everything besides the 2080 Ti because that is a whole nother tier. But pretty much the RTX 2060 through the 2080 Super are all in the same tier. The performance level is within about 30%, almost across the board. I think uh, 2080 Super might be like 50% faster or something. Yeah, and, and, and when you talk about tiers, when that's the only difference in performance, there's going to be games you find multiple, many games, not all of them, but like maybe even a fourth of them, where the 5700 XT actually ends up beating the 2080. And at that level, it's like, yeah, that's how you know it's in the same tier, because plenty of games. That's so why I like Steve's 33-game benchmark. Just look at the average of 33 of the, you know, games. That's going to wash out and give you a pretty good idea where everything lands. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's really the only card to get. And then sub uh, $300, honestly, just get like a GTX 1060 6 gig or an RX 580. Yeah, just yeah, and you can still get the 580s and 570s for like 100, 120. Uh, and then there's just so many used cards now, honestly. Yeah, honestly, if you... um go below the 5,700, I would say you, you really want to look at the uh, used market. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, even a 1070 for 200 bucks used, I mean, that's pretty good. That's good for high refresh 1080p. Uh, Vega 56s, 250-ish. It's probably a good way to go. Uh, those are perfectly fine. You know, you want to go cheaper, like I said, RX 570, 580, GTX 1060s. The new stuff are way overpriced for where they're at. So yeah, definitely go used. Yep. All right. Well, I mean, uh, we went as usual longer, but I think actually we did a good job of switching topics quickly without getting too in the weeds. So, I mean, I don't know. Thanks for coming on again, Chris. I like uh, talking to you a lot, actually. Hey, not a problem, Tom. Yeah, it's always fun talking with you. Um, 
we have kind of a similar mindset, but I like how we diverge and go about things a little different. So it's good. I like it. Yeah, and I, one thing I would add at the very end here is everyone I've been talking to, I like talking to. I'm going to keep bringing as many people as want to onto the podcast because it is always, I think, a really fun to listen to discussion, at least so I've been told. So yeah, I guess what I'll say is I, I just don't, I hope tech tuber fanboys don't become a thing. That was that angry video I made where oh god, where I pulled that, uh, and I think I overshot it a little. But the funny thing was, everyone who follows me liked it, so it just seemed like people missed the point. I think they thought I was talking about adored when I wasn't. What what, what really annoys me is seeing this in the comments. I'm, I'm sure you've seen it, where they just start shitting on another YouTube channel and wanting you to validate them doing that and. Please, I'm not going to. <laughs> I don't have a problem with Chris or Paul or Adored or anyone. I mean, a, a disagreeing does not mean anger or even really disagreeing. Usually the disagreement is incredibly minor, like you can see when we talk. By the end, we're pretty much just completely on the same page. So I don't know where. It's like I'm never going to validate channel fanboys. And if I say a thing where I'm like, I don't like what I'm seeing on YouTube here, you shouldn't assume I'm talking about anyone specific because I'm probably not. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a time where you were allowed to disagree with people. So, <laughs> um, I just kind of continue with that. I actually, it's fine. You know, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. Now, as long as the opinion isn't like absolutely batshit insane where I'm like, you probably should change your opinion. Um, which is nothing to do with tech, obviously. We're talking bigger things. Yeah. So, you know, you can think whatever you want. You could hate AMD because they use the color red. I don't care. That's your opinion. <laughs> I think that's stupid. But we can disagree, and it's fine, and we can move on. So, yeah, this whole everybody needs to hate each other because they're not all exactly, in lockstep. Yeah. Honestly, to me, that's that's crazy. I'm watching Chernobyl. I don't oh, know if you saw so that. So good. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm just going through it. But, you know, you see the way that Everybody kind of had to go ahead and put their head down and just go with the flow. And the basically, the everybody who was a rank higher than you, their authority superseded everything you had to say. Mm -hmm. That's basically what these people want. Oh, you're right. And, and you can kind of see that where if I have a disagreement with Adored, he has more subscribers. So instantly, I'm not even allowed to disagree, even if my disagreement is like incredibly minor. <laughs> Or valid. Yeah, and often, and this is another thing I find incredibly funny is people will say, hey, hey, did you see Hardware Unboxed said this thing that you didn't say? And I'm like, yeah, I talked to him about it before I even launched the video. <laughs> like, we already talked about it. You don't need to tell me. Right. Yeah, me and Steve, I, I think Steve actually likes it. Like, he'll he'll bring up, like, a subject to me. Like, he knows he's provoking, like, a debate. And, Which is good. Uh, I do that a lot. And uh, just because I disagree with people, uh, doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm not mad at anyone, except for a couple right. channels that I won't mention. But yeah. So, well, our, yeah. I think we all know the one. Yeah. It's, I've been a little too obvious about it, actually. But um, so, yeah. Anyways, but I actually have to go. And I know you've got a couple videos to work on. But yeah, I'll just thank you again. Uh, thanks for coming on. Hey, not a problem, buddy. Let me know next time and uh, we'll do it again. Okay. Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast, is predominantly brought to you by me, Tom, of Moore's Law is Dead. And you can find all of my content, including videos, articles, and this podcast at www.moreslawsdead.com. And of course, it is also often co-hosted by my brother, 
Damn. And it is edited by my sound engineer, Gerard Cortez. You can find his contact information at www.moreslawsdead.com. You can also find the contact information of my article editor, Carbon Cry. Now, of course, if you want to keep the show running, I really do hope you rate me on your podcasting platform of choice. Share it with your friends. And if you have the money, but only if you do, consider supporting me on Patreon at Moore's Law is Dead. If you do, you get access to the Discord to talk to other enlightening people who work not just at AMD, not just at NVIDIA, but often in the server space and other computing areas that people often overlook. And of course, if you support it, you can get access to reading these people's names that keep the show running. But without further ado, let me give thanks to my greatest supporters. On August 16th, 2019, the following supporters are at the net burst 10 gigahertz or higher level. Bootman, Hunter Drake, Dean, Ruckus, Justin Yump, Tomas Rupp, Tomas Barrage, Jesse Blanton, Jordan Betcher, Muhammad Al-Kawari, Matthew Brubacher, Prime Tech TV, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harad, Call Marco, Otterwise Tech, Thigh Rister, The Ninth Dude, Greg Reniger, Keelan Lau, Daniel Cash, Night Rogue, 77, Mechanical Philosopher, Michael Costa, Volix, Derek Evans, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Neil, X01, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, <laughs> spelled in a very interesting way, Jaisi, and Henning Rosness Nahan. Thank you, everyone. Thank you to Chris for joining the show. And we'll be on again. I'm excited for other guests. And of course, thank you to Zahara for the music. <laughs>